0: Welcome to the Long Thread Podcast, about spinning, stitching, and weaving by hand. This series is sponsored by Long Thread Media, publishers of spin-off, piecework, and Handwoven magazines. Find us online and subscribe at longthreadmedia.com. I'm your host, co-founder Anne Mero. So I'm sitting with Terry Madison, who is a spinner, weaver, uh, former Pegora fiber producer and vendor, dyer. And we're going to talk today about some of her fiber explorations. So, Terry, what are you working on right now?
1: Oh, gosh, where do I start? I'm really into weaving. Uh, I've really gotten into weaving and color study. Uh, Primarily right now with synthetic dyes, but, gosh, I'll dye with natural or synthetic. I, I I don't like to mix the two in a piece, but I do like to use both mediums.
0: And so you mentioned that um,
1: one of the things that you're excited about doing right now is some mushroom dyeing. It's mushroom season. It's fall mushroom season in the Pacific Northwest, which is where I live. And I, you know, I took a class a couple years ago from Alyssa Allen of Mycopigments. Uh, Really great class. Very informative. I had no idea. I had no idea that you could dye with mushrooms. And, you know, not every mushroom, but... um, it's quite fun, actually. Some are substantive dyes. Uh, some are very pH sensitive. I mean, you can spin several different colors with one mushroom. So explain what substantive dye means. Uh, substantive, I can never say that word. Substantive dye means uh, you don't really need a mordant. Um, actually, just to back up a step, mushroom dyes work great on pr- protein fibers, so wool, silk, and the like. Uh they say that they're not great on plant-based fibers although I do plan to play with that a little bit this winter um, because there's different mordanting techniques one can use and so stay tuned we'll see how that works out. <laughs>
0: um, so are you at the point where you can kind of tell by looking if a, if a mushroom will, be, uh, will produce dye or not?
1: It doesn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there are known species. I mean, the mushroom kingdom is huge, or the fungi kingdom is huge. And there are certain standard mushrooms that are good performers, guaranteed. Um, but when I run across one I'm not familiar with, there's a fabulous Facebook group uh, called Mushrooms and Mushroom Dyers United, I believe is what it's called. Fabulous resource. Fabulous. Uh, and if you're not sure about a mushroom type, um, you can post there. There's also other groups online that are just about mushroom ID, but they're more towards the edibles. So uh, yeah, some I know, and I know what I'm going to get, other species I don't know, so I kind of experiment. So you live in a part of the country that I think is pretty well known for having mushrooms. Have you tried foraging in other parts of the country? Uh, not too much. I, uh, I'm in the Midwest at the moment and I did take a hike yesterday morning just to kind of, I'm a hiker, uh, and I did find some mushrooms. I didn't find any dyers, but I did find a couple of d- mushrooms I did not recognize. They don't grow in my area. I live, I forage typically in a coniferous forest and this is more of a hardwood forest. Uh, so I don't know. Some of those that I did not recognize perhaps could be dyers. I don't know. I just really wasn't in the, I, I, I just not set up to take samples here, I guess. And so when you um, find a mushroom that you think is a likely candidate, what do you do? Oh, I have this little lunchbox kit. Remember when you were a kid and you had the metal lunchbox thing? I know this is totally geeky, but I carry in my, in my car this time of year, this little lunchbox kit. I have a little, I have a little butane burner thing with a little pot and this is everything in this kit is just for mushrooms. I don't use it for anything else. I have a couple uh, balls of yarn, one, and they're wool. One is mordanted. uh, I mean, it's with alum. It's been treated with, and I use about 17% alum based on the weight of the fiber. So I've done that already. And then the other ball of yarn is just wool. And so if I'm not sure, and my husband and I like to go out, and so when we're having lunch, I'm sitting there, he's fixing lunch, I'm cooking my <laughs> mushrooms or rice samples, and I'll see what I get. Uh, I mean, and that's that's just one step because even if you get a color, you know, a lot of them will give you beige, and it may or may not be color fast, and I'm not terribly excited about that. So, but I'll do that. I yeah, I have this little geek kit, and do you? Dye a lot of fiber with this, or is it more of an exploration? Mm, Right now, it's more of an exploration. Uh, I do have a bunch of singles that I spun that I dyed with last year. Uh, I need to get those on the loom. I keep saying that. I need to do that. But mushrooms are a little more of a challenge, because as a dyer, you typically want to weigh how much dye against how much uh, fiber whether it's fiber or yarn, uh, uh, you want to dye. And so it's about a percentage. And so mm, with mushrooms, you need quite a bit. You need one-to-one with the wet mushrooms. So if you want to dye four ounces of fiber, you need four ounces of mushrooms, and that's quite a bit. So it's not a huge sustainable thing. Um, So what I'll do is I'll pick, and then I take them home and dehydrate, and so I have, these, <laughs> I have these jars in my basement. I always wanted to write I have newt on them. So when I had company over, they'd be like, what is that? But I've dehydrated mushrooms. Now I've got a stash. I've got a couple years stash for the orange Cortinarius, which is my favorite. And so I probably will dye something bigger this winter if I, get a, you know, if I get a good harvest this year. Now you said something about it's not that sustainable. What do you mean by that? Uh, sustainable, uh, maybe that was a, I'm not a really good person with words. Uh, I try to be responsible when I harvest mushrooms, uh, mushrooms, kind of the flowering part of the mycelium, which is the growth underneath the ground, uh, which is the main business of the plant. And <clears throat> I don't like to pick all of them. If I come into a patch, I, I, I shoot for about two thirds and I leave the rest uh, and you know, there's just not that many. I mean, it's it's not like other plant-based. I, I grew weld this this summer. Well, I started it the year before. And I should pause and say, growing weld is not recommended. Oh, it's woad that's not recommended. Correct, woad is it? Wo, I don't grow woad because in Washington State, it's an invasive species and it's illegal to grow. But this is weld, W-E-L-D. Oh, that's that's a good point. And, you know, you can, it takes a lot less. So plant-based dyes typically don't take as much to get a medium shade. Uh, but mushrooms take a little bit more. And some mushrooms, if you picture the stem, the cap, and the gills or the pores underneath, many times only the pores underneath contain the dye. You know, so lobster mushrooms is, a, is another one where the lobster part is a parasite, and in my area, it parasitizes russula mushrooms. So you pick this flaming orange mushroom that's growing alongside the road, and you think, ooh, hot dog, I got a ton of dye here. But it's really only that outer layer that's orange that's been parasitized that carries the dye. So this big, fat, meaty mushroom, it's just the, you know, so I take a knife and I kind of cut off the outer bits. There's not that much dye to it. So that's, I guess, sustainable wasn't the best word. I just wasn't sure what you meant. So if
0: I had this idea that I was going to go down to Whole Foods and into the produce section and find something to dye with, am I going to be disappointed? Yes. Will I get anything? Uh,
1: No. (laughs) Okay, then. No, I mean... I guess it depends on the part of the country you're in, but t- but typically uh, most, well, okay, so the definition of an edible mushroom is a broad thing. Uh, some people will eat, they say most of the boletes, a lot of them are edible, but most of them don't taste very good or they'll make you have an upset stomach, so I don't consider those edible. Um, but But now the lobster mushroom is edible. I hear it's quite good. The lobster uh, the parasitized uh, rusula uh, I never get to it before the worms get to it mm. and I'm not doing that <laughs> I don't need any extra protein in my meal uh, some people get to them early mm-hmm. and I hear they're quite tasty but I don't but you won't find those in the, you won't find those in the store mm-hmm.
0: now um, I think the the question that most people think of when they think about foraging for wild mushrooms is am I going to need to worry about poison is that a factor at all in
1: foraging for dye mushrooms no no um uh no uh it's like anything else you go out and you forage you wash your hands when you're done and i i i carry a knife with me i cut the mushroom down at the ground level and that knife is only used for for mushroom dyeing i do a lot of dehydrating again i went to the thrift store i found this used dehydrator which works awesome and it was very inexpensive and i uh I I dry them out in my garage because I know that mushrooms give off spores and I don't want that in my house as I'm drying because the, you know, the dehydrator will blow those out. But, you know, I need to back up. Um, I think chanterelles might die. I know blue chanterelles will die. Um, And I've never found any of those and I I think they're edible. I'm just kind of getting into this. I, you know, honestly, I think I know more about the dye mushrooms than I do the edibles. So, so much to learn. That's, I mean, that's the great thing about this. There's just so much to learn. There's so, uh, it's just another rabbit hole. Yeah.
0: So another thing that I see working on a lot is eco-printing. And um, it, it, it is just so cool looking because most of, a lot of natural dyeing involves baths and, you know, generally going for uniform color. And, and yet what you're doing when you do eco-printing is completely different from that.
1: Oh, gosh, that is such a wide, uh, if I may say, minefield at the moment. Uh, When I first was introduced to eco-printing, it was pretty basic. Nobody was marrying the worlds between eco-printing and a lot of the natural dyeing, which is what you see now, which is I find a much more visually aesthetically pleasing uh, bit of work. So you see a lot of people using both natural dyes and overlaying that with uh, the eco-printing um, plants and flowers. And it's it, I say it's a minefield because there's a bit of chemistry involved, and I won't get into that here because, quite frankly, I don't know that it, it's just a... It, it can get quite complex. There's a lot of misinformation floating about online about that. Um... And in, and, yeah, there, it, it, yes. And, and some people will use techniques that involve mordants that I choose not to work with, uh, copper being one of them. So eh, it's. So if we could back up for just a second and talk about what eco
0: printing is as separate from natural dyeing.
1: Eco printing is transferring an image of a leaf or a flower onto fabric. It can be really cool. It can be not so cool. The first time I tried it, I thought, oh, I was all excited, and I invited a couple girlfriends down to the beach. We're gonna do this eco, eco printing thing, and we were, oh gosh, we were so excited. And when we got all done, and we, of course, we had to unroll everything the end of the day, which most people will tell you it needs to sit at least overnight, if not a week, to sort of cure, if you will. Um, And we opened them up and my one friend who raises sheep said those look like lambing rags. And they did, they were awful. They were just these, they were just these, and we had used cotton, which makes it more challenging. And there was just sort of these brown stains on the fabric. It was, it was awful. (laughs) So I've since learned, you know, the image you want depends on what side of the leaf you present to the fabric. Um, different plants contain more tannin, and tannin is your friend in this case. You can do eco-printing on cotton. It requires a bit of pre-mordanting, and there's a couple different ways to do that. Silk, you don't really have to. I know a lot of people start with silk because it's a little easier. You know, you dunk it in alum and go. Yeah, so it. I don't do too much of it. I had gotten away from it, quite frankly, because I didn't like the i didn't i didn't like the results i got without using the natural dyes and, and then when i started dabbling in it with the natural dyes oh that's so cool so i'm getting into it a little bit more again
0: so when you say the results you're getting with the natural dyes do you mean using plants that contain
1: dye for eco-printing? Or do you mean something else? No, I mean that the pieces that I would get when I was done were more appealing to me because there was color everywhere. Wasn't the same color. Some plants you put on will discharge some of the base color. Some will augment it. Whereas initially when I started, I would have this white fabric and I I would do eco-printing on it and sometimes using a little iron and I would get, so then I would get this silk scarf that was white with some dark violet slash brown images on it. And I, I like color. I didn't like all that whiteness and I don't know. I didn't care for it. So if you're eco printing, you start with say a piece of
0: silk and plan out your design and put, put things on it. And, and based on your knowledge, you choose what sort of leaves to, to put on
1: it, right? And what side of the leaf, yep. because if you put the side of the leaf, oh, I always get this backwards, so forgive me if I do, um, the side of the leaf that faces the sun, you, it will leave a ghost image. Mm. So as, it would be as if you left, if the leaf was, uh, you could see a leaf outline with some fuzzy color around the outline. Whereas if you put the underside of the leaf against fabric, then you get the veins, mm. you know, of the leaf, which is, oh, I love that. So you sort of place your design and
0: roll it up. Tightly. Tightly. It's all about contact. Mm-hmm. And bind it in some way. hmm And do you, you said you don't necessarily mordant silk?
1: Well, I, you know, I treat it with alum. Mm-hmm. I, I do treat it with alum. I mean, alum is a, it's a mordant. It's also a pH modifier. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I like to do that. It, and so then once you have it all rolled up, what do you do with it? Well, there's a couple different things you can do. You can either steam it that way. Some people will simmer it in water and get a different look. I haven't really done that, so I can't speak to that. I, I you know, I, Gosh, this is such a deep, kind of crazy wide rabbit hole. There's so many variables. Oh my gosh, at one time I had this big project mapped out and I was going to end up with like 100 samples of all these different I should do that someday I really should do that it's just yeah it's there's a lot of different directions you can go with it but you do need to follow a few fundamentals you know it's it's steaming and and um, I mean what a fun thing if you were gonna try it make two that's what we do right let's try this let's put one and steam it for you know four hours or whatever and let's simmer this one in in water for four hours and you know set them aside for a week and open them up and see what you got. So, and what both of these two pursuits have in
0: common is that you're essentially kind of taking your knowledge of chemistry and fibers and going out to see what there is and seeing what
1: colors you can get out of it. Well, I'm a dyer at heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do love weaving and and I'm not as great a knitter. I do, I I enjoy knitting, but I'm not as good at it, Um, but I love color. I love color. And so the whole color interaction thing fascinates me. And uh, you know, with the eco dyeing, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. I, I mean, I I have just dabbled. I've just scratched the surface of it. My favorite piece was a set of cotton handkerchiefs I picked up at the Goodwill, and I dyed them in Nevada wood, so they were orange. I do love orange. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to dunk these in some uh, calcium. Calcium, uh, oh, I forget what it was, calcs. We call it calx. Calcium hydroxide, I think. I don't remember. Um, I should know that. Um, and they turned pink, and I, almost, I just freaked because I don't really like pink. And I thought, oh, I've ruined these. Oh, these are hideous. But I had these big, giant maple leaves, and I had soaked them in a really dilute su- solution of iron sulfate, and I rolled them up, and somehow when I... And I steamed them. I did not boil them. And and so then I let them set for a couple days, and I unrolled them. They were fabulous. Somehow the tannin in the tannin. And iron saddens things, so I'm not sure if it was the tannin or the iron or the combination, but it wiped the pink business away. So my handkerchief was pink except for this leaf that was orangey, browny. It was stunning. I loved it. So, yeah, I... Like I said, I'm just still kind of getting into this. Lots of different things you can do. Sometimes it's predictable. It, you know, it's it's like wine. Some years the wine's great. Some years the wine's not as good. Well, some years there's more tannin in the leaves, uh, and other years not.
0: That's true. It is a lot like wine in that way. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, tannins in the grapes, tannins in the... Do you think, do you, think
1: you could die with grapes? Oh, I, oh, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> in the natural dye world, there's there's this, ah, there's this dichotomy. You get people that want to do the natural dyeing, but they just want natural stuff. They just want natural, and and I'm not sure what that means. To I think that means different things to different people. And you read about people that are dying with berries, and they're dying with, you know, stuff out of their kitchen. And, you know, none of it's going to be very colorfast. If I'm going to make something and spend the time and when I get all done, like that leaf piece I just explained to you, I don't want it to evaporate in six months. I want to keep that. I want to make a cool bag out of that. I don't want it to fade and go away. Where, as some natural dyers, you know, they're happy with that. Good, I can use that piece again next year. That makes me crazy. Um, So... Yeah, so you get a bit of that in the natural dye world and the eco-printing world.
0: So is that kind of a difference between what we talk about, it like a dye versus a stain?
1: Yes. So if you, if you drop that berry on your favorite white blouse, I guarantee you that will never go away. But if you, if you put it on some cool scarf that you want to have that mark on forever, it'll go away in six months. You know, it's, that's how that works.
0: But it also changes, even if it's on your shirt. It changes sometimes, and you think, what is this black spot? Oh, it's a raspberry.
1: Or, or it goes brown. Mm-hmm. You know, berries, yeah, they'll turn brown, and it's, yeah, it's just, it's a stain. It's not a dye. It's not been chemically adhered to the fabric. I would encourage people to go out and give it a try. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen uh, that your that your work fades away? And then you do some more research and um Eco printing is a little bit tough. There's not a lot published at this point, but you're going to see, I think I'm seeing more and more people kind of move forward with things and there's some groups um, and the natural dyeing, you know, that's been well documented. People have, it's funny, some people will, oh, this is all new and this is fabulous people have been dying with natural dyes for thousands of years. That's what we had before we had synthetics. I mean, you're not going to invent anything new. And sometimes I wonder with this whole eco-printing thing, I don't know that that's terribly new. I think, you know, people with with the thousands of years people have been using natural dyes, you cannot tell me that that never happened sometime back then. I, I mean, I just, I'm convinced that there's, there's really nothing new in this world, except maybe some funky chemicals we toss at it that weren't present back then. But, you know, it's it's interesting. Well, thanks so much, Terry. Well, you're welcome. I, I
0: enjoyed this. Right, now I'm tempted to go take a walk. Okay. All right.